Good morning, friends. I want to read to you God's Word, and it's taken from actually a couple of places today, actually three, but I'm going to read just two of them for the beginning, for the Scripture lesson. The first is two verses that we've already covered, but it's what I'm going to focus on today. It's James chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, and then I'd ask you to look at Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39. James chapter 4. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Now Romans 8. Starting at verse 31, What then shall we say to these things? God is for us. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Friends, my name is Pastor Jake. If you're new to our church, I want to thank you for being here. And uh, I know summers are a little weird and crazy because of vacations and travel and all these kinds of things. But um, I am I'm thankful that we could be here as God's people week after week. Um, I am pinch hitting for Pastor Jeff He is um, going to wrap up chapter 5 in the book of James, and then we'll be done with James. I don't know if you can ever be done with James, but you know what I mean. We'll be done with chapter 5 of the book of James, which has been a marvelous, really good diagnostic, if you will, for us to, to examine our lives and to say, are we what we say we are? Are we really who we say we are? It's been really good and challenging for me, for sure. Well, it's been VBS week here at our church, and uh, all week I got to practice my Australian accent. And I was wondering if I can pull off the whole sermon in an Australian accent. And I decided, no, it stinks. It's worse. Actually, it's better than my Indian accent, which is just as inauthentic. I've been practicing my Indian accent for many years, but it's still not that authentic. Um, 
It's been a great week. As uh, they said, we had 99 children. We need to go find that one. <laughs> Was one missing somewhere? We've got to find that one next year. Make it a goal. Invite one child. Okay, He will be our representative 100th. And next year we'll have 200. So let's let's pray for that. But it was a great week. Thanks to Eric and Laura Kelly. Man, it was fantastic to be back in our building and to invite so many children who aren't part of our community and to let them hear that God loves them and God made them uniquely them. That was the message of um, this week. So next year, can I encourage you to do something? Please plan to be a part of it. Seriously, it is one of the most unique things we get to do because we have the space. We have a playground. We have a beautiful building. And those parents may actually show up one day. And that's my prayers. That they will show up with their, that they will show up with their, um, children. And, uh, for today, as I said, I'm not gonna dive into chapter five. But I thought I'd take a little excursus and look at these two verses in James chapter 4 and then go a bit deeper by looking at Romans 8 and one of the Psalms. So when we're done with James, we're hoping to camp in the Psalms for the rest of the summer until September 11th. No particular reason, but September 11th we will kick off, God willing, a new series for the fall. But the verses that I shared from James chapter 4 were this, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Have you ever seen good fog? I have seen good fog. I grew up with fog in the northeast being next to the ocean in New York Metro. And it's amazing. Sometimes you get out in the morning and you can't see right in front of you because the fog is so thick. And you go in for a few minutes and you come back out and it's gone. The fog is completely lifted. That quickly. That is what your life is like. You're like a mist. That is here for a few minutes and then it's gone. Do you remember we camped in this a couple weeks ago as we were talking about we should not be so haughty to think that we make our plans and we control our calendars. By the way, how many of you are tyrannized by your calendar? There are some people who are controlled by their calendar and then there's others who are like, well, whatever. There's both kinds of people. But what I was talking about a couple of weeks ago was this. We as human beings in our sinful nature, we have an illusion of control. But the reality of the Scriptures, of what God tells us is, you are not in control. It is just an illusion. You are not in control of anything. In fact, if you're living by your calendars... In 24 hours, it could become irrelevant. Your appointments may not get get kept. 
in the matter of a few hours. So don't live by your calendar. Our life is a mist that appears for a little time and then it vanishes. But instead, we ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. I'm going to pray in just a moment, but before I do, I'm going to read to you a little story. Does anybody remember? Got to find this now. Does anybody remember this date in history? January 8th, 1956. Does that ring a bell? It should for church historians. Sort of. January 8th, 1956. Does anybody in here remember? You can just raise your hand if that rings a bell to you. I'm going to share a bit of this story throughout the sermon today. But that is the day that five missionaries lost their lives at a very, very, very young age on a little sandbar called Palm Beach along a little river called the Curare River in Ecuador. The most famous story retold by the wives of those five young men, the most famous of whom is Elizabeth Elliot, who remarried and wrote books called In the Shadow of the Almighty or Through Gates of Splendor, and more recently through Steve Saint, the son of the pilot Nate Saint, who wrote The End of the Spear. You can look all those stories up. But January 8th, 1956 was, in the world's eyes, a tragedy. In fact, that is what the news told the world. It was a tragedy. But do you know what those families say? It was a good day for the church. Let's pray for a moment. Father, I thank You that You are in complete control of our lives. And I thank You for the remembrance of those five young men and the legacy that they lived, even though their lives may have seemed so short and their mission work may have seemed cut short and too brief. And yet, Lord, You changed the world through them. And I thank You, God, for Your Word that reminds us that our lives are a mist that is here for a little while and then disappears. And yet you are in complete control because you are the God of providence and you provide for us and your decrees come to pass. Every single one of them, the greatest to the least. And Lord, your will will always be done. No one can thwart your plans. My prayer for my own heart and everyone in this room is that you would give us eyes to see the one who is called the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jim Elliott was born in 1927 in Portland, Oregon. Jim would have been 95 years old right now. The way the story that Elizabeth Elliott wrote the shadow of the Almighty comes from Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2, which says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. 
I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. On that day, 1956, Jim Elliott, Nate St. the Pilot, Ed McCulley, Peter Fleming, and Roger Uterain were speared to death on a sandbar called Palm Beach in the Curare River of Ecuador. They were trying to reach the Warani Indians or the Auca Indians for the first time in history with the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we come to know their story. But what Elizabeth and the other wives and their children and grandchildren want us to know is it was not bad. It was good. And it was not an accident. It was exactly what the Lord wanted for His church. I will share more about that. The most famous quote by Jim Elliot that many of you heard, have heard, became sort of his credo. And it is goes like this, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So I wanted to connect this a little bit with James chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, and Romans 8 and Psalm 105. And I wanted you to keep a couple things in mind as we do this. I want you to remember who you are. That's why I talked about the fog. Don't think you're in control. It's really an illusion. Don't live only by your calendar. You'll be here if God wants you to be here. And you won't if God does not want you to be here. But you also need to know point two. Know who He is. And that is a Creator God who loves you more than you realize. Who has every plan to prosper you and not to harm you and to give you a future and a hope. A God who sent His Son so that you would not be lost. That you would not be forgotten. That you would live forever in the kingdom of God with joy and bliss rather than sadness and Death. It was called a tragic nightmare, that incident. So what happened was Jim was preparing at Wheaton College for many, many years and said, I want to go overseas. I want to go to those places where the gospel really has not been heard. He went to Quito, to Ecuador, and then he realized, I want to go deeper into the jungles where many of those tribes have never been around other civilizations or other people and where they may not even have ever come across a believer or a missionary. And so Pete, Fleming, and Jim used to take trips. They went to the Mission Aviation Center in Shalmara and met up with Nate Saint and got to make many, many trips over the jungles. And finally, Nate found a little sandbar that can act as a runway strip and they thought they could land their little plane. So they did. And they made contact with the Warani tribe 
or the Waodani people of the Warani tribe, the Auka Indians. And um, one of the men of that tribe lied to the rest of the tribe about these five men's, these men's intentions. And the next time they came was January 8th, 1956. And ten men from their tribe massacred them before they ever got to do anything else. And hearing the story from Elizabeth and later Steve Saint, Nate Saint's son, they went back many, many times amongst those people who Nate's sister Rachel used to live among and work among and got to befriend. There was a young woman who had actually left the tribe years earlier and was taken in by the missionaries and she taught them more about the language and about the words and about the culture and all of those things. And as Steve was uh, putting the story together about his dad and exactly what happened, one of the things that he wrote in an article in 1996 in Christianity Today was this, that in many ways should not have happened. That massacre. Because they had guns and the Indians didn't. They were in control. They could have easily have shot off uh, their guns and scared them away or injured one or whatever. That, there's many reasons why that shouldn't hap- have happened. But it happened exactly as it happened because they were willing to give up their lives for Christ and to surrender their lives for a grander purpose, for a grander plan. And as Steve was telling the story, I was diving into it a bit more this week. I heard him say this, how much dad and the others must have loved them to not retaliate. How much God must have loved the Wa'adani people that it didn't end in bloodshed all over the place. God had a plan and a purpose. Steve made his last trip back because he became a quadriplegic because of an injury that happened to his head. And he took a last trip back for old time's sake to see the people. And one of the things that Steve said is this. He said, now my children and grandchildren live a legacy of what matters because of what happened that day. He attributes that martyrdom and what happened amongst the Wa'adani as a key factor in shaping his children and his grandchildren, Nate's great-grandchildren. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Remember last week, Mr. Pakta was talking about the woman who came with that expensive ointment and said, wherever the gospel is preached, she will be remembered. You know who Jim Elliot is, right? Millions around the world have come to know about those five men and about Jim Elliot because of what they lived for the gospel. So, how is this connected? This is what was on my heart. And I want to share this with you. Many people say, you know, Christ is not really in James. 
It's not a high, a book of high Christology. In fact, that's why Martin Luther did not like James and didn't want it to be in the canon. Remember that? When we were beginning the book of James, I explained that he called it a right strawy epistle. Full of straw. Doesn't have weight. Because it doesn't mention enough of Jesus. It doesn't have a high Christology. And James actually talks about Christ throughout because he uses the words the Lord. Do you know that that is one of the most important titles for Jesus Christ in the New Testament? The Lord. In chapter 2, he says in verse 1, My brother, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Chapter 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 4, verse 14, it says, For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills. So I want you to keep that in mind. James, the half-brother of Jesus, is walking in the footsteps of his older brother Jesus, who he knows as the Lord of glory. James is saying, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is my Savior. Yes, He was my physical brother biologically, but He is the Lord of glory. He is the one to follow. He is the one to give your life for. He is the one for whom you should obey the words and commandments of God to be called a true believer. A true believer in Jesus. So, if you're listening to those words and you hear James saying, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. That's what you should say. You know what many people think? Can I surrender to that word if? What if God doesn't want me to be rich? What if God doesn't want me to get married? What if God doesn't want me to have a family? What if God doesn't want me to be prosperous? Can I surrender to this God? Isn't God some tyrannical dictator out there who's like a puppeteer who's just controlling us against our will? We don't, we're like little robots and he's sort of a killjoy. He doesn't want you to have fun or enjoy life. That's what many people think of God. So how can I surrender and say, well, if the Lord allows or if the Lord wills, I'll get to do this next year. If the Lord allows, well, I don't, I don't know if I want to allow God to control my life. But going back to that high Christology or James talking about his brother Jesus, the Lord of glory, this is what I want you to hear as you leave this morning and as you meditate on this passage. The Lord that we connect that word if to, the will that we connect to that Lord is the one who died for you, is the one who died for us. Do you recognize that? The Lord who wills what happens in your life is the one who came from glory and was willing to give His life for you so you might have life eternal. Doesn't that change everything? When you begin to think of 
that will, the will that is for our good and His glory. You know, when I started surrendering to the Lord for the first time in my life, I was in my 20s and I wanted to be a rich businessman. And I said, I know you want me to go there, but I want to go here. I know you want me to do this, but I want to do this. I want to be a jet setter. I want to go around the world. I want to make a lot of money. I want to be successful. I don't know, Lord, if I want to surrender to Your will for me. Until I realized His will is the best way. It's the perfect way. It is the way I will actually be happy and satisfied. When we surrender to the One who died for us, the Lord who wills is the Lord who died for us. When you begin to think of it this way, His way is always better, not yours. I would not take back anything that's happened in my life. The illnesses, the seeming detours, the accidents, the pain, the job losses, the all of it, the tragedies. I am exactly where I'm meant to be because God willed. But that's the One who loved me. I want to read these passages to you and just have you think about it for a few minutes. Romans 8, okay? So listen to this. The Lord who wills is the same Lord who came from heaven and died for you so you could be holy and happy. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Friends, do you realize that God is for you? Such a simple thought, isn't it? He's not trying to trip, trip me up. He's not trying to keep good things from me. In fact, the Scripture says the opposite. No good thing will He withhold from those who love Him. No good thing will He withhold or keep back from those who walk uprightly before Him. God is not trying to keep you from being happy or keep you to a certain limit. Hey, I'm going to keep Him in that box until He learns. That's not our God. Our God is a loving God who wants everything for us as we trust His plans and His will for us. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? You heard that verse? That's one to really memorize, isn't it? How will He who did not spare His own Son keep from giving you all the other things that are good for you, that will bless you, that will truly prosper you for eternity. He's not going to hold His hand back. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the One who died. The Lord who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And now, I'm going to read these verses again, which you've heard maybe hundreds of times in church, maybe thousands, but I'm going to say it again. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He loves you. That was our message to our Children who walked in these doors all week. God loves you. God made you. God has such a beautiful plan for you. Better than your plans for you. Better than your mom and dad's plans for you. If the Lord wills, 
comes from the Lord who died for you and has everything good stored up for you for your good and His glory. Now, very quickly, I'll ask you to look at Psalm 105 for a moment. Psalm 105. Do you know what that whole psalm is about? I'm not going to go through it and and divide it up for you today, but it's a remembrance. Psalm 105 is asking us to remember. People of God, remember who you are. You are beloved. You are being watched. You are being kept. You are being, being planned for. He has good things in store for you. Remember who you are and remember who He is. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. Sing to Him. Sing praises to Him. Tell of all His wondrous works. Verse 5, Remember the wondrous works that He has done, His miracles and the judgments He uttered. And then, He talks about a number of people in Psalm 105. It's sort of a little history lesson looking back at Israel and key people in Israel's life. Do you remember Abram? We just read that story last night in our house during family worship time. Abraham used to be Abram. And God called him out of his father's country where he was worshiping pagan gods called the Ur of the Chaldees. And God calls him out and says, I am the Lord. I am God. And He communicated to Abraham. Abraham had a real conversation with the living God. Not a statue. Not a dead thing. Not wood. Not stone. Not an image. But the real God spoke to Abram and said, I'm going to change your name to Abraham, which means the father of all nations. And through you, I'm going to bless the whole earth. The whole world. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers His covenant forever. The word that He commanded for a thousand generations. I don't want you to miss this. Do you know what um, scientists consider a generation? 20 to 30 years. Depending on when you get married and have children. But let's average 20. Alright, let's go on the low end. Multiply 20 by a thousand. 20,000 years? That is not meant to be literal. It's meant to be telling us forever. God is a covenant promise keeping God forever. Not just your life, but the life of your children and their children and their children. 20,000 years or more. The covenant that He made with Abraham... His sworn promise to Isaac, which He confirmed to Jacob as a statute to Israel, an everlasting covenant. Just in the last few minutes, I want to go through quickly some of the things that the psalmist speaks about when he says things about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do you realize that they were in the promised land, but they lived in tents? They were wanderers. They were nomads. And they had to go through a lot of places to finally get to the promised land. But while they did, this is what it says, when they were few in number, of little account, and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings. Do you remember Abimelech? Who wanted to kill Abram? 
He allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. So Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had twelve who became the twelve tribes of Israel. Israel becomes a great nation. You remember the story of Joseph, right? I can't miss talking about Joseph. That story, by the way, is the one that brought me to Christ. Genesis 45. Joseph is one of the best prefigured images of Jesus that we have. Betrayed by his brothers. Completely forgives them and says, I want you to live with me. I'm going to take care of you. Otherwise, you're going to die. It gives me echoes of, in my Father's house are many mansions. And you're going to live with me and I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to come back and take you to be with me so that you will be where I am. There's a verse in here that says, His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron. So basically, Joseph got put into a pit, got sold to a slaver's caravan, went to Potiphar's house in Egypt, was put in prison wrongfully, got pulled out of prison, and got brought to the palace and became second in command of all of Egypt. Now you might think, man, that's a long way. That took a long time to get where he was supposed to go, wasn't it? God's timeline is perfect. Joseph needed to go through every one of those steps. That literally, that line where it says he, his feet were in fetters of iron, literally means his soul was iron entered his soul. He was in anguish and yet he never gave up on God. Friends, you're exactly where you're meant to be. Do you know that? Exactly. And God's way is the best way. And His path is the shortest way. And you might think it's taking too long, but God's never in a hurry. He's taking you exactly the path and route that He wants you to go. Then it says, talks about Egypt. He sent Moses his servant. He turned the waters into blood and caused their fish to die. Do you ever wonder why does he talk about the river? Well, because the Egyptians worshipped the river. And he turned their river into blood to show that he is God and not their gods. Let me skip ahead for, in order to, to kind of wrap up. Look at the last few verses of Psalm 105. So he brought his people out with joy, his chosen ones with singing, and he gave them the lands of the nations, and they took possession of the fruit of the people's toil, that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. You know why God did all those things throughout history? So that we would trust him, obey him, and worship him. Can you remember that? What God is doing in your life, through everything that's happening with you, through your illness, through your job loss, through the trials, the tribulations, the detours, He is causing us to trust Him, to obey Him, and to worship Him. And then you can't help but sing. All things work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to His purpose. 
I'm asking you to think about this today, young people maybe in this room or anyone else. Are you afraid to surrender to God? I mean, really surrender. I mean, like, all right, God, my finances are yours. My plans are yours. What you want with my children are yours. What you want with my work is yours. What you want with my body is yours. You're afraid to surrender? You're afraid to say, if the Lord wills? I want to remind you that the Lord who wills is the Lord who died to save you and to give you a glorious future. Well, let me finish with the story I started. They only were missionaries for a few days. But do you know that that whole tribe is transformed? (laughs) That whole area is transformed because... Not only did Elizabeth go back and live amongst them, Aunt Rachel, Nate's, uh, Steve's aunt, Nate's sister lived among them and was buried there. And listen to this. Okay, listen to this. Steve Saint says, the man who killed my father is the one that my children call grandfather now. His name is Minkai. Minkai, they call him grandfather, the man who killed his father. How does that work? How does that, how, how does bitterness turn into joy and a legacy? So when Steve went back with his whole clan of people, they went to that sandbar. And they heard stories again of what happened. And there was an old lady named Dawa who was considered a grandmother also, like the tribal grandmother. Dawa said, you know that day when all that happened? I was there watching the men. But I also saw those other foreigners in the trees. And he said, there were another foreigners, it was just them. No, there were other foreigners right there at the tree line, a whole bunch of them. Angels? <laughs> Do you know what their legacy is? Those lives were not a waste, an accident. They sparked something throughout the world in the lives of God's people in the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the saints of God. Your life is not a waste. No detour is an accident because He sent His Son for you. Friends, I want you to hear those words, surrender today. If you haven't surrendered fully, you need to surrender today to the One who has the best plans for you. Let's pray together. Father, I thank You that You have blessed us in the heavenly realms with all the riches of Christ. Lord, we are not being held back as secondary sons and daughters, but Lord, as the ones that You've loved 
from all eternity. Lord, I pray that You would give us eyes to give our lives over to You. To really give up everything, to gain everything. So Lord, I ask that um, You would give us more faith. In Jesus' name, Amen.